Just a couple quick uh, reminders or you know, review from last week. Last week we talked about God's throne, and I had these uh, pictures. We were talking about a jasper stone. Jasper stone can look a lot of different ways, and these are pictures of jasper stones. And then we have a sardius stone that was in the throne of God. And then we have an emerald rainbow, and then we had thunder and lightning, and all that put together in one spot. Pretty incredible picture. But what I would like to do today is turn to Revelation 21 and read through the first eight verses, and then we'll go back and start tearing into this and the verses beyond that. The reason I want to read these is because part of this is really we're not going to cover in detail, but it's good to have this as a background and that's starting in verse 3. What's not, we're not going to deal in detail with verses 3 through 8. But it starts out of Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. This is a fun verse. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's quite a warning too in verse 8. And we're going to cover that later on in our last week. But there's a lot of good stuff there. Today we're going to focus on the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. Spurgeon said this, he says, Whenever we think of heaven... Let us chiefly think of the Father, for in our Father's house are many dwelling places, and it is to the Father that our Lord has gone to prepare a tangible, a tangible place for us. To this, Randy Alcorn added, to re, he says, reduce heaven to something less than or other than a place, we strip Christ's words of their meaning. The Bible promises us that one day after the resurrection, heaven will be centered on the new earth, the place where God's people will live forever. You know, new, new is a word that can get us excited, doesn't it? A new car. That's a lot better than an old beater, right? A new house. A new wardrobe. New golf clubs. They always make you a better golfer, right? Um, a new season. A new year. You know, one thing that's odd to me, maybe just me, but maybe not, is New Year celebrations. You ever watch new, you know, Times Square where everybody's screaming and yelling because, oh, it's a new year. It's another day. 
right? But we get all excited about new, a new year. There's something that's fresh and untarnished about things that are new. And if those things, if any of those things, or whatever gets you excited about new, those get you perked up, how about a new heaven and a new earth? That's going to be different. As we get a more accurate idea of heaven, where we are going as believers, it should encourage us. Remember the minister who told Randy Alcorn that whenever he thought about heaven, he got depressed, thinking he was going to be to an endless tedium? Clearly, that guy had no concept whatsoever of what heaven is like. So what will have an, what will have a, what will having a proper understanding of heaven do for us? Well, among other things, we've mentioned it before already today, it's going to give us a proper perspective of this life. And when that happens, having heaven on your mind will change how you live your life. And it will change it for the better. A guy named Herman Riverboss, who died in 2007, he was a Dutch theologian and a biblical scholar, said this, We cannot understand biblical revelation, human history, or the events of our own lives if we do not grasp God's plan for the new heavens and the new earth. Christ's redemption of an all-inclusive divine drama of a cosmic struggle, the goal of which is to bring back the entire created cosmos under God's dominion and rule. So everything that's created will become under God's dominion and rule. So this week we're going to take a look at the new heaven and the earth. In, in the new earth, including the new Jerusalem that's described in Scripture. Again, I can't overemphasize this. I'll probably say it many more times. All these so-called first-hand accounts of people going to heaven and come back and tell us what it's like are total garbage. Total garbage. If I had the time and the energy, I would take and line them all up to each other, and you could see how they all contradict each other. Well, that means they're all going to a different place, or they're all imagining a different place, which is probably more the case. MacArthur stated this, and there will be a lot of MacArthur quotes in through here, but I won't tell you each time, but this is the first one, and I'm going to bring up He says, right now we have an old earth and an old heaven. They have been touched by sin. They have been marred by the fall. And only the third heaven, which we talked about last week, is pristine, pure, and flawless. But in the recreation, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The final state called the new heavens and the earth and the new earth. Now, I was reading, I was thinking about that as I read that quote, and two words just jumped out at me. And that is, he said, the final state. What are we looking, or what we are looking at when we explore what the Bible has to say about the new heaven and the new earth is the final, the eternal, the unchanging state. It will not ever need to be improved upon remodeled, updated, upgraded. Nothing will rot or diminish ever. That's hard for us to imagine. No updates. It's the final perfect state. So the first thing we want to look at is the appearance of the new heaven and the new earth. And we see this, we read this just a second ago, in Revelation 21, 1 to 3. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So regarding the chronology of events, we are at the end of time as we know it. Satan, the fallen angels, the unredeemed, are now for eternity in the lake of fire, as told in the prior chapter of Revelation 20. So that's all done. The millennium is over. Satan has been judged for eternity. The universe as we know it no longer exists. God has created a new heaven and a new earth, the dwelling place for the redeemed. Ephesians 1, 7-10 refers to this when it says this. In him we have redemption through his blood for the, for, uh, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ in the verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven things in heaven and things on the earth well this is that plan come together we also read in Isaiah 66 verse 2 for as the new heavens and the new earth that I shall make remain before me says the Lord so shall your offspring and your name remain so what Isaiah predicted is now a reality as John tells us in Revelation. Now the word new, new heaven, new earth, is an important word because there's a couple words for new. One of them means new as opposed to old. It's neos, new as opposed to old. The word that's used here, my understanding, is kainos, which is new in quality. The new heaven and the new earth will not be a cleaned up version of what we see now. Yes, the curse of sin will be gone. But the newness will be much more and much different. It's just not going to be this, oh man, we we washed it all up and all the gunk is gone. No, it's completely new in quality. So there's coming a much different heaven and earth. While it's new in the terms of chronology, the point here is that it is new in kind. The quality is completely different from what we know now. Now it's fun to think of a new heaven and a new earth where all the miseries that we know now will be gone. An earth whose every part will flow with holiness and the peace of God. There has to be a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Well, verse 1 says in Revelation 21, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It's gone. So there has to be a new one. Now the passing away of the old earth is described in Revelation 20, verse 11. It's also told in Luke 21, 33. And in Psalm 102, 25 to 27. Now in Psalm 102, we'll quote just that one. It says, Of old you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. How hard is it to change a robe? That's what's going to happen. In verse 27, But you are the same, your years have no end. So this huge universe that we have, we talked about how big it was last week. What, 93 billion light years across? 
so far, might be later, might, might be bigger later, will be uncreated. Is that a word? Um, its place, and in its place, God will create a permanent new heaven and new earth that's a different kind. Well, what's the new going to be like? Well, let's see what we can find out. Hey, Bruce? Yes. Question on um, new. Is, is that word that you're talking about kind of like as a believer, you're a new creation, which means like a new species type? I haven't checked to see if it's the same word, but that would be a good good check to see if it's the same word when we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. If it's the same kainos as it is here, it could be, but I, I didn't I didn't check that. Because if I remember right, that's it's something completely new. It's not like you had an old coat; they had holes in it, and you bought a new coat. Mm-hmm. But, um, it very well could be. Okay. Yeah, that's a. I, I didn't look that up, but that's a good question. The one thing we know that this new heaven and this new earth will be truly home. As home should be. The believers, the ones that are there, will belong there. And they will feel as if they belong. Homes bring familiarity. They bring communion with loved ones. And we can be ourselves. We're not outsiders. We all fit in. And at the end of verse 1 of Revelation 21.1, we read a first kind of a clue there. There's no longer any sea. It's interesting to try to imagine how this would look and function. A couple thoughts to there's no more sea. First thing is the Jewish people were not sailors. They had a fear of sailing, a fear of the sea. It was the Phoenicians of that day who were the seafarers. Herodotus wrote that the Phoenicians... Now, this is interesting to me. I read this and went, wow. That the Phoenicians circumnavigated Africa in 600 B.C., starting with the Red Sea and going around. With a desire for trade, they sailed beyond the Mediterranean's traditional safe limits. They were credited with many important nautical inventions and had a firmly established reputation as the greatest mariners of the ancient world, not the Jewish people. Remember in Matthew 18, Jesus mentioned what would have been a terrifying death to anybody, but even more so if you're afraid of the sea. When he referred to a man having a millstone hanged around his neck and being drowned in the depths of the sea. To the Jewish person, they didn't want any part of that. Because the sea, storms, me, seasickness, but <laughs> uh, storms and death and drowning, and they didn't like that. Now, the other thing, 71% of the earth's surface is covered with water. And the oceans hold approximately 96.5% of all the earth's water. And our world is totally dependent upon water. That's why every time they go to a, you know, oh, this is a planet, they might have a little drop of water on it. You could have life there. Uh, No, but they always want to find water because we are based, our, our life is based on water. There's also a lot, of, a lot of water under the land. Go dig a well. You know, find it all the time. This week I saw an article. Interesting, I, was, I, was, I don't know where I found this, but I did. It said, this is the title. <clears throat> and this was first published in 2014, but it's been updated just recently. The title was, Massive Ocean Discovered Beneath the Earth's Crust Containing More Water Than on the Surface. The article from, is called, the, the site was called Indy 100, said this, People are only just realizing there's a massive ocean hidden under the Earth's crust. It turns out there's a huge supply of water 400 miles underground. How they figured that out, I have no clue. 
I know they don't have a, a probe going down that deep. It's stored in rock known as ringwoodite. That's a, if you're a science teacher, yeah, bring that up. See if anybody knows what it is. It says, scientists previously discovered that water is stored inside mantle rock in a sponge-like state. In the scientific paper titled, quote, Dehydration Melting at the Top of the Lower Mantle was published in 2014 and laid out the findings that ringwoodite is a sponge, like a sponge, soaks up water. And there is something very special about the crystal structure of ringwoodite that allows it to attract hydrogen and trap water. It says this mineral can contain a lot of water under conditions of the deep mantle. Uh, A quote in it. I think we are finally seeing evidence for a whole earth water cycle which may help explain the vast amounts of liquid water on the surface of our habitable planet. Scientists have been looking for this missing deep water for decades. And then it went on to say, if this rock, this this ringwoodite, contained just 1% water, it would mean there are three times more water under the surface of the earth than there is in all the oceans on the surface. There's a lot of water in the earth and we're mostly water I never have figured this out but I understand that makes up 90% of our blood and 65% of our flesh plants and animals are comprised mostly of water and the earth is the only place in the known universe where there's enough water to sustain man plants and animals and the seas that we have, the oceans, are critical to our life. We live in a water-based environment. The tidal structure and all that, you know, it's, it's huge. What we have in the new earth, though, is dramatically different than anything we have ever known or can imagine. There will be a totally new and different climactic conditions. And whatever this new environment is, the dependence upon water will change. I didn't say water would go away. We're going to see that in just a little bit. It may. What is needed to sustain life today will not be needed to sustain life there. What about water in the new heavens and the new earth? Revelation 22, uh, 22 verse 1, the next chapter says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. That's the only water mentioned. And it's not the H2O kind that we think of because this is the water of life. There will be a profound difference from a physical standpoint in the new heaven and the new earth. Our eternity is going to be totally different than anything we have ever seen. No more sea. In 1 Corinthians 15.40, Paul said this, There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. So God is going to provide resurrection bodies to dwell in an environment that will be based on a completely different life principle than what we now have. What will they look like? How will they be made up? Good luck. We don't know. The next thing we have is the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21.2 And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as prepared prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The new Jerusalem is in the new heaven and the new earth. It is literal. It's a physical place. It can be measured. Unlike the third heaven, which is the dwelling place of God, which you cannot measure, the city will come down out of heaven from God. Let that sink in for a minute. You ever seen a city come down? Me either. 
It's also called the Holy City, including the New Jerusalem mentioned in Revelation 21. There are three different Jerusalems mentioned in Scripture. One is the historic Jerusalem that we see today, the city of David in the land of Palestine. <coughs> you know, even the, even the historic city Jerusalem today is called the Holy City even though it's not holy. And we see that called in Isaiah 52 and Matthew 4 and Revelation 11. It was holy in that it was set apart and devoted to God. Second, we have the millennial Jerusalem that will exist during the thousand-year millennial reign. That's to come. But here we have the eternal city, the new Jerusalem. And this is not holy only because it's set apart to God. It's holy because everyone and everything in it is holy, without sin, without blemish. In ancient times, cities were a place of safety. They were a place of culture, where you socialized, you had activities, you had food, you had communion with others, that happened in cities. It's hard to imagine, or it's impossible maybe to imagine, a holy city. Certainly no city today would qualify. Our cities are full of pollution, wickedness, decay, corruption, crime, iniquity, decadence, and you could go on and on and on. I know people love to look at cities. Oh, it's such a beautiful city. I, I don't look at the skyscrapers. I look down in the other parts a lot of times, and I think they're gross. But tall sky, skyscrapers are pretty to look at, but every city has those areas, those streets that are run down. They're dirty, decaying, full of poverty and homelessness, drug-infested. And there are, for many cities, that's, the majority of the area. Recently, I watched a YouTube, just I think it was a week, a week ago, on the 20 most densely populated cities in the world. If you ever want to not, you know, figure out a place you don't want to go live, go watch this. It was depressing to look at the filth and the chaos that the residents put up in. Some of them were pretty nice areas. You know, two of them were in the United States, by the way. Uh, some in China, some in the Philippines, some in India, they, you know, it's across the world. But it was, it was yuck. But this city will be totally different. Try to imagine total harmony among all the inhabitants, full, true oneness, godly living, and God is there with an uninterrupted and eternal fellowship with him. John 14 Jesus said this. Many of you know this passage. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is going to prepare this place. Hebrews 11.10 tells us that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Well, this is that city. Back to Revelation 21 in verse 2. The new Jerusalem is going to come down of heaven and descend to the earth. Revelation 21.10 says the same thing. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So we have this city coming down out of heaven. Verse 2 goes on to say, It was made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Most brides kind of dress up when they want to get married, right? I have seen a couple of those redneck 
wedding things that they don't, but those are the exceptions, right? <laughs> but they don't, they get as pretty as they can, beautiful as they can. And then back to Revelation 21, 9 to 10, it says, Then came one of the seven angels and so showed me the holy city coming down out of heaven. So it's clear, this is coming down out of heaven. So let's take a tour, as, we, as much as we can, of this city. Verse 11. Having the glory of God, its radiance, it was like a most rare jewel like jasper clear as crystal again we use the word like remember from last week the description of the throne we had a jasper stone which was an opaque stone that was a favorite stone in the ancient world here we have a city described as crystal clear jasper coming down out of heaven. This is a sparkling crystal diamond-like city filled with the glory, the very glory and blazing presence of God. Try to remember something you have seen that's breathtaking. And then multiply it by a million or ten million. And you still won't be close to how breathtaking this will be. Here we have the infinite splashing light of glory of God coming down within the new Jerusalem. And Isaiah 60 verses 19 to 20 gives us a similar picture. Where it says, The sun shall be no more your light by day, for nor brightness shall be nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, as your days of mourning shall be ended. So the sun as we know it, is going to be different. Verses 12 to 21 Give us more information as John is trying to describe the indescribable. He said, It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates of twelve angels, and the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed. And on the east three gates, and the north three gates, and the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia, fifteen hundred miles. Yes? Uh, another question. Um, I'm looking over here where you have there are 12 gates and each one has an angel as a guard did you just add or a guard or were, when I think of a guard I think of a prison with guards that are keeping somebody in keeping somebody out or uh, something special where well, what would be the need for protection. You know, I asked that had that same question. I didn't well, find I, don't feel I, I didn't find I didn't and his question is why would you have angels as guards? Um, because no one will go in there unless they're redeemed because they're not gonna be um, non redeemed there. I, I think it's just a picture of the security of the of the of the of the city. Because cities were for security as much as anything else, sure. and and they had they stationed guards at the city gates all the time to let people in and out, and they'd lock the gates at night and wouldn't let people in. That's to maintain the security of the city. So that's what people were used to uh, so in the seeing. Original is that word guard in there, or I mean, I, as I read the verse, it doesn't say anything about guard. Um, but, and I just wondered where that 
that's actually in the original. Um, I have not checked the original. Okay. But um, I don't. They're, they're not going to be guards like we think of guards to keep the bad people away because the bad people aren't going to be there anyway. Sure. That was kind of my point. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I think I might have something more on it later, but I. Keep on asking those questions I don't have answers for. Um, <clears throat> so the city is uh, the measured the same as its width. The length is width, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal, 1,500 miles cubed. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits or 72 yards approximately by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. And the wall was built of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass whoa you got that yeah. it's a symmetrical city it has a great high wall like I just mentioned cities provided security and protection in an ancient world now we're going to find out a little later that the gates are not going to ever be closed but the gates will be there, and there'll be gates of pearl. To be outside the city wall back then was to, to be exposed to wild beasts and, and robbers and weather. Now, the 12 gates, each one has the angel guard, as we just said. As a guard, I think is more symbolic than anything. And each gate has the name of a tribe of Israel that shows God's eternal covenant with the nation Israel. Even though it is called the Bride City, it's also identified with Israel. And it's a place where all the saints of all the ages will go. Now, 12 is apparently the number of completeness. There are 12 gates. Twelve angels, twelve tribes, twelve foundations, twelve apostles, twelve pearls, twelve kinds of fruits, we're going to find out. Twelve thousand furlongs by twelve thousand cubits. I mean, it's twelve is there a lot. Now, gates imply that you can come and go, which indicates that travel will exist in heaven. You can come and go. And perhaps this is speculation because God can take us to the third heaven in, as we talked about last week, the twinkling of an eye, we may be able to travel in the new heavens and the earth rather rapidly. Who knows? It doesn't matter. If it takes 20 years to get from here to there, so what? There's not going to be a year anyway, right? Uh, so... But the gates show that we can and will go in and out. And the 12 foundation stones, the 12 foundation stones have the names of the apostles of the Lamb. Did you notice the mention of the Lamb, which is the sacrificial name of Christ? He will forever and always be identified with his role as a Lamb. And in verse 15, we have a rod of gold that's used to measure the heaven. Now, this is considered to be about, a, a, a rod of gold is considered to be about a 10-foot length, standard of measure. The city is symmetrical, as long as it is high as it is wide. Now, the Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple was always also a cube, a symmetrical cube. So this city 
is in a sense kind of the holy of holies of eternity, in a sense. It's the same idea. Now, the size of the city is massive. 12,000 stadia, as I said, 1,500 miles. Now, I just went out when I was looking at that, and I checked how far it is, air miles, so you're not going on a road like this, air miles from Boise to Chicago is 1,573 miles. So take 73 miles off of that, and that is the one dimension of this city from here to Chicago. And it's square and cubed. This makes a total of 2,250,000 square miles. Now, the state of Texas, pretty good-sized state, has 268,820 square miles. So it's eight times, over eight times larger. The city is over eight times larger than the state of Texas. Plus, it's that high as well. Now, right now, if you go up about nine miles, you can't breathe. Right? No oxygen up there. So, you know, when we say a new heaven and a new earth, we're not going to have the atmospheric conditions like we have now. 1,500 miles high. If you do that, it adds up to 3.375 cubic or billion cubic miles. Now, based on today's buildings, if you just took a 10 foot per story. Now it might be a little bit light, but it's easier math that way. 10 foot per story. This means the new heaven and the earth will be roughly 822,000 stories tall. Okay? That's a pretty big. There's going to be plenty of room. There's not going to be crowding by any means like these cities I was reading about this or seeing this week. It's a huge place of unbelievable majesty. And this is just the city. There is the new earth and the new heaven besides this. This is just a little piece of it. And then verse 18 gives us a description that I can't fathom. And the wall was built of jasper while the city of pure gold clear as glass. So the wall is made of jasper like a clear diamond. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. Now how many of you have on a gold ring? Look at it. Can you see through it? Is it transparent? Have you ever seen transparent gold? Clear gold? Nope. (laughs) You know. Who knows what this is like? Picture pure gold like clear glass. You can see through this pure gold. What kind of gold is it? Heavenly. Heavenly gold. It's solid, yet it's transparent. And the transparency, one reason it's transparent, is it allows the glory of God to shine through it. Similar to Ezekiel's description that we read last week, the radiance of the glory of God reflects the presence of the infinite God. It's solid, yet it's transparent. And then John describes the foundation... In verse 29, or 19 and 20, the foundations of the wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. Now, if you read through these jewels, it's hard to get an idea. I have a brother-in-law who has a degree in geology. He can tell you about all these things. I can't, okay? But I looked up, and the foundation stones kind of like those okay you've got jasper and sapphire and agate and emerald and you got to remember now this 
these foundation stones go 1,500 miles this way and 1,500 miles this way and 1,500 miles. They're not, not, not little things you put in a ring. And how are they mixed in there? I have no idea. It's not, it, it's something that no one has ever seen. Jewels with dazzling colors create this dazzling picture. Transparent glass, diamonds, gold color. The whole thing is beyond description. And I was thinking about this, and after a nice spring rain, it's kind of fun to look outside and see the beauty of the grass and the hills and the mountains. Boom. Imagine looking at this. It's going to be unbelievable. And the beauty will never get old. And then we talked about there's some artist's description there of what the city could look like. It looks like a palette to me. But, uh, <laughs> but that's 1,500 miles. And if you could see close enough, he's got little gates in there, three on each side. That means every 300 miles is a pearl gate, right, if they're equidistant. And we don't know the measurements of the gates, but they're not going to be, you know, doors like we enter this building with, double doors. They're going to be large. How large? I don't know. I don't know. But the other thing is the pearl is made, and you know this, by a small animal who has to be wounded to make a pearl. As the oyster treats the wound, it creates a pearl. And so we enter heaven through a gate of pearl, a symbolic of the one who was wounded for us. Yeah. What's that? He did go out there to make it. Yeah, but it's symbolic of that. And it was through his wounds we are healed, as we see in 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. So this is more than just, oh, that's pretty. What's, what's it show? It shows what Christ did for us. And this is God, God who did it for us. That's beyond me to understand the depth of that and verse 22 and 23 go on to say and I saw no temple in it for the Lord the all the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple we talked about this a little bit last week with Ezekiel the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of the Lord gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. So we have a world with no seas and we don't need a sun. And we won't have a night. It's going to be interesting. Okay? Everybody got that? Oh, and the city will go up 1,500 miles. Then it will be transparent gold and the glory of God will shine out from, from around it. And in this city is the, the Lord, the God Almighty, is its temple. The Almighty and the Lamb are... Get this. This is the thing that's probably hardest for me to understand. The Almighty and the Lamb are dwelling among men. God is among men. This is God's presence. Light literally coming from God. Verse 24, By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. So this verse tells us a lot. Nationalities will exist. There will be leaders who will bring their glory to God and the glory of God will be over all men and nations. There is no glory in others or in yourself. And any rule of other men is nothing. 
All kinds of people will be there and they will give up their glory to God. Verse 25. We talked about the gates and the angels. But its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night. So you're not going to shut them at night because they're in the night. Right? Because there is no night, the gates will never be closed. Like I said, in ancient times, you closed the gates to keep people from coming in for security and protection. But here, you have perfect security and perfect protection. There's no need to close the gates. Verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Then verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's going to be no rivalries for God's glory. Ancient cities, by the way, kept rolls of their citizens, and guards were posted at the gates to keep out the criminals. Yeah, you're not on the list. Those guys, ancient people were a whole lot smarter than we think they were. We think that they're, you know, well, we're smart. <laughs> we got computers. No. no, they were very intelligent people. But that's the context. As, as people would have read this, they go, huh. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The gates will never be closed. And I can go in and out. And then in verse 22, uh, chapter 22, we go on. I think we'll get done today. <clears throat> verse 22, or chapter 22, verse 1. He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal. I don't know about you, but have you ever seen the Red River between Texas and Oklahoma? Yeah. It's ugly. I mean, it's kind of cute, but yeah, the water is anything but crystal clear. It's called the Red River because it's red. There's sediment in it all over, right? But you, this is perfectly clear beautiful water only it's not water water like we know it it's the water of life <clears throat> clear as crystal coming out from the throne of God and the lamb end of the lamb or the throne of the lamb in the middle of its street so in the middle of the street in heaven this transparent gold street is this river coming out, the river of the water of life. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Hey, hey no winter. Uh, sorry for you skiers. But, um, <laughs> yes. I was going to tell you, uh, Glacier Natural Park in Montana, the river that comes out of that mountain is an emerald green. Hmm. Crystal clear. Yeah. Uh, you, you want to go down and have a drink? Yeah. My, uh, my parents used to have a, or they still do, my, my uh, niece has it now, water up in, uh, just before you get to Warren. And my mother-in-law used to test water for the city, or for the state, you know, whether it had bacteria and stuff in it. And she would test this water from the Seasesh River, and it was actually purer than the drinking water in Boise. So there are those types of things when it comes out of a glacier, just absolutely gorgeous. That's what we see here. On either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations or the wholesomeness of nations. Now, William Hendrickson suggested that the term tree of life is collective like uh, a river in an avenue. So it would be a, an avenue going, who knows? But I mean, avenue going down, and that there's not, he thinks that there's not a single tree, but an entire park or row of trees, and therefore the city is full of the tree of life. It could be. And it would grow on both sides of this river. Now, and remember, in the Garden of Eden, there was a river with four branches that watered the garden. And here we find the new Jerusalem flowing right out of the throne of God, 
right down the middle of the city, a crystal clear celestial river with the water of life. It's incredible. I mean, now a river, especially back then, and it still is now, but think about Israel. A river was to a person living in a barren place like Palestine, a place of comfort and rest and sustenance. I mean, river water was key. And like we said earlier, this is a different kind of water. It's not hydrogen and oxygen. We don't know what it's like. <clears throat> and then there are the trees of life we eat for enjoyment, not for sustenance. And the word healing here, where it says, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, it's where we get the word therapeutic from. Health giving. And the leaves don't just provide healing for sickness, they promote enrichment of life. Because there's not going to be any sickness there. They're for the sheer joy of eating, and the water is for the sheer joy of drinking. And then verse 3 of Revelation 22, it says, the best description of all. All this incredible stuff. I think this is the best. No longer will there be any curse. No curse. What is cursed? Man. Creation. The culture of mankind will no longer be inhibited by the curse of sin. Christ's gain will be a complete victory, which includes the victory over the creation and our bodies. Death will be destroyed. Now, every year at Christmas time, all the Christians and most of the pagans sing joy to the world. This is what that song is talking about. The Lord is come. It speaks to this victory. Let earth receive her king. God will transform this old earth into a vital new earth. Fresh and uncontaminated. No longer subject to death and destruction. We have never seen what this is going to be like. And on top of that, we've never seen the earth as God initially created it before sin. But the new Jerusalem is going to be incredible. It's going to be a great reality. And then lastly, we will see the personality of the new heaven and the earth. And the new earth. Verse 3. <clears throat> and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now if it's loud, it's something that's important to be heard. Pay attention. Saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God is no longer far off. The word for dwelling place is the place where you live. It's God's abode. Talk about amazing. God living in the same place, the same house, the same city as his saints. This is a promise of God in Leviticus 26 where we read, I will make your my dwelling among you. I will also walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. God is now making his home with the believers in the new Jerusalem. Now remember Jesus' prayer. We've talked about this a couple times in John 17, 24. Where Jesus said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me will be with me where I am. This is now being answered. Now the most glorious reality about heaven is not the transparent gold. It's not the incredible foundation. It's the reality of God himself. Remember 1 Thessalonians 4.17 where Paul summarized what happens to all believers. So we will always be with the Lord. The greatest joy of heaven is not the beauty. It's not the experience 
of a corporate praise. It's not reunion with loved ones. The greatest joy of heaven is to be with God. In our current unholy state, it is more comfortable to know God only from a distance. Remember Isaiah 6? In seeing the throne of God, Isaiah fell on his face and said, Woe is me, for I am lost. Peter, after the resurrection of Christ, cried out from the depths of his heart, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. But now, it's going to be joyous to be in the presence of God. We will be given an eternal and expanded vision of God. This is reflected in Revelation 21, 22, and 23. For the glory of God illuminates the new heaven and the new earth and blazes its light through the new Jerusalem. Now, in the oriental courts of ancient times, kings were rarely seen. They were secluded, and it was a privilege to be able to see them or go into the presence of a monarch. Only very few privileged people could see the king. But now we have this privilege that would be great to dwell with God. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. This will come to pass. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? What we will see of God in the holy city and the new heaven and the new earth, it's hard to say. We will see what all that we can and all that we need to see. Whatever limitations may exist on us as glorified people, we will be able to see to that limit. We will not be able to embrace the full infinity of God because we're not going to be infinite. When I like this one. I, I don't remember where I got this quote. We will not know God exhaustively, but we will know him accurately. John Calvin wrote this. Our glory will not be so perfect as to be able to comprehend the Lord in his absolute Godhead, even at the last there will remain an impassable distance between himself and us. But we will see him accurately in all that we need to see. We will be able to see more than we can imagine. We will see God face to face, literally in the glorious light of his presence. Remember 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2 says this. Beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And in seeing God with our glorified eyes, we will be overwhelmed and eternally awed by that sight. Psalm 17.15 says this, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I will be satisfied with your righteous, or with your likeness. I had to ask myself in closing here, what satisfies me? Uh, a job? A promotion? A new house, wealth, nice entertainment. Does that satisfy me? How about to know God, to see God, and to see him face to face and gaze on his glory and be made like his son? Fanny Crosby wrote a song that's not sung much anymore. Many of you may not know it. It's called My Savior First of All. Anybody know that song? I figured Catherine would know it. It goes like this. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side and his smile 
will be the first to welcome me. Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face and the luster of his kindly beaming eye. How full my heart will praise him for the mercy, love, and grace that prepare for me a mansion in the sky. Through gates to the city in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where no tears shall ever fall. In the glad song of ages, I shall mingle with delight. But I long to meet my Savior first of all. And then the chorus of that goes, I shall know him. I shall know him. And redeemed by his side, I shall stand. I shall know him. I shall know him by the print of the nails in his side. C.S. Lewis will close with this. He said this, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. Let's pray.